Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. And a pleasant afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Water Zone Show. I'm Rob Starr, your host, and our other host, our co-host, Mr. Chris Davey, is enjoying a wonderful, hope he is, a wonderful vacation in Hawaii with his beautiful bride of many years, and uh, he, he's earned it and he deserves it, so I hope he's having a good time, and I hope he's not listening to the show, because he needs to be with his wife and on the beautiful beaches there and uh, having lobster and cocktails and all the good stuff. But we do have another Chris, and she is the purveyor of Maven's Notebook, Miss Chris Austin. Welcome, Chris. Hey, Rob, how you doing today? I'm good. How's everything up in your neck of the woods in northern central California? Well, you know, I can't complain. It's been a nice day. We're we're coming into a uh, a weekend, the holiday weekend's going to be nice and relatively mild weather, so got a lot to look forward to. How's it down there in Arizona? Oh, Are you bacon? And, no, 114. <laughs> uh, sunny. Uh-huh. Uh, it's going to be another heat, more more hot next week. They said probably going up to one seventeen, one eighteen. Uh, so that's what the weather calls for here. I uh, got winds at about five miles an hour starting about now. And uh, but other than that, uh, I know last night when I got I was out and I got home about uh, I guess it was almost nine o'clock. It was one hundred and four degrees. So Ugh. <laughs> yeah, Ugh. it was windy. it was it was a little bit windy, but it was. At least 104 degrees. When I, again, I thought that was a little warm for the night, but uh, it's actually a great time to go swimming. And uh, I, we and we have uh, a chiller on our pool because a lot of people that have pools here have heaters, which I don't understand why they need a heater because the water warms up with the temperature. But uh, my neighbors complain sometimes the temperature in their pools get up to like 90, 95 degrees. They have heaters. I have a chiller unit, <laughs> and it's like a water air conditioning system and um, you pumps the water the regular pump pumps it into that and that recycles and does what it's got to do and chills it and then sends it back in the pool so it stays around oh probably about 86 to 88 degrees which is really nice and uh, it's been beautiful and and what I like about here I like California but I could lay in my pool or my backyard or the spot whatever and you look up and you can see planets and stars you know there's no smog like you see in California and it's Pretty pretty nice for for that. So I, I enjoy yeah. it. Well, that so. that sounds that sounds great. Do you have a pool cover? No. Oh, okay. See, then I can't point out the water saving benefits of a pool cover. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of. It depends on what kind of shape pool you got because it gets more complicated as you get all different shapes of the pool versus a standard rectangular one or a round one. So we didn't get we didn't get that anyway. But we do we we do get we do have two gazebos. One's one we call a pool house, and one is a regular gazebo, but it works well. So let's get down to what's going on in California with water. And I understand that there's a large dam that you've been talking about for a long time, but now they started the demolition process. Yeah, four large dams actually, and uh, they started. They took out. It's just on the Klamath River. This is billed as the largest dam removal project I think in the world. 
Yeah. Uh, there's four of them. Uh, one is a very small dam. When that that one was removed this year, and then they're, they're looking to start removing the, the other ones. Um, I believe in the beginning of next year. Their plan, if it's still the same as it was as it has been before, is to punch a hole in these dams and then <clears throat> hope for a good wet winter to push it. You know, to push. The, to finish the job of demoli- demo- demolishing the dam, so you know we'll we'll see how that how that all works. If it's a good wet winter, like this would have been a great winter to have done that. Um, but uh, hopefully next year will be will be wet. And uh, you know there was an article in the Sacramento Bee. I think it was yesterday or Monday or something about. Uh, you know, uh, what, what is the next winter going to be like? And it was actually an amazingly long story that said pretty much, we don't know. Everyone and they would say, well, you know, da, 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 but we don't really know. And then they had talked to like four or five people that said, we don't know. Uh, <laughs> so well, don't, they, we, don't, they, don't, don't they use explosives? Oh yeah, they're going to use explosives, but they're going to they're going to blow out part of the dam and let the let the run of the river and the water finish the job. Uh, is that know. is that dangerous for people or other people to climb around there? Or well, I'm sure that when they do this, they will they will make that clear. You know, I'm sure they got all the safety stuff worked out. Um, but yeah, it's kind of it's kind of exciting. To see these dams come down, these are hydropower dams. They're not water supply dams. So you know, these are four dams that are coming out of a river that is they aren't used for anybody's water supply or for farms. It's you know, so it's um, <clears throat> the only people that are really harmed by this. I think are the homeowners that have homes along the uh, shores of the reservoirs, which are no longer going to be there, right. and and that's a that's while that's definitely a bummer for them. It's going to be really exciting to see what happens with this river. These dams and the reservoirs were getting algae blooms in them long before everybody else. All these other water bodies were getting algae blooms, so long before it was fashionable for a reservoir to bloom. So no, no, nobody before the, before they started, nobody went swimming in any of these places or anything. Because I can imagine these big blocks of cement floating down and hitting somebody. <laughs> yeah, there. I. It's a very steep river. The reason why it was the hydroelectric power dams is because um, it's a very steep drop down from where these uh, these dam start to to the ocean and they they refer to this as a, often as an upside down river because um it's it's more flatter up on top and it goes straight down to the uh to, to the ocean where most most of the time the rivers kind of go down the mountains and then flatten out to get to the ocean so um you know it and the salmon runs there have have really suffered for years, and there's some tribes there. The tribes have been very instrumental in getting these, uh, getting the uh, 
company to agree to pull these dams out. Um, and the salmon is very important to these to these tribes because they're salmon tribes. It's, you know, they yep. salmon is how they feed themselves. Um, and this year, that the salmon runs were, have been so bad, they had they had to do a salmon festival without any salmon up there. Oh. So. Uh, so, you know, we're all kind of looking forward to seeing what goes, you know, how this is all going to play out. There's a lot of work being done uh, to prepare the landscape uh, once these dams come out because uh, they want to get native plants back in there and established. And there's going to be a wide area that's going to have to be replanted. So they're working on, uh, you know, getting the seeds and the plants together um, you know, to 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 make this, you know, to change this landscape back to what it used to be. So we'll see. Um, you know, the people that that oppose this or talk about the impact to the salmon, um, and there will be some impacts. There's a lot of sediment behind these dams, and so the sediment um, could silt up the streams and cover any salmon eggs or anything that's in there. Uh, at the time that these dams come down. However, uh, when they they removed the dam on the Elwha River in Washington a few years ago, and they were really amazed at how fast everything came back once they got the dam out. And yeah, there was a sediment plume, and the sediment was there in the ocean and all, but uh, but the the landscape and the salmon runs there have, have just rebounded remarkably so um we're hoping for the same thing here at the Klamath dams oh that'll be that'll be good i also hear that there's uh, some dire consequences of a depleting california groundwater situation and i i, I uh, is, is that because people are pumping it out or we get it's going oh. somewhere else <laughs> yeah no we we pump a lot of groundwater and that's why we're we're struggling with our groundwater management but, uh, but, yeah, it's very, you know, one of the concerning things about the loss of groundwater in California is the impact on the food supply because a, uh, a lot of produce and nuts and things come from California and a lot of export, too, export crops to, to various countries. So we're going to have to reduce our water use in the Central Valley. That's going to uh, result in less food production. And that's really going to be, um, you know, potentially problematic for a lot of these countries that, you know, that depend on exported food products to to survive. Uh, You know, there's a number of countries that cannot grow their own food uh, can't grow enough food within their borders to feed their population. Um, so I know I know that like Saudi Arabia and places they they buy a lot of alfalfa from California. Yeah, well, in China too, yeah. or, or Japan. Um, actually, I don't know if they still do it. Although I kind of I, I imagine that they still do. But the Imperial Valley used to sell uh, hay to. Japan for their cows, and they would ship it back in the empty shipping containers. Mm. Um, and they made it very, you know, because they got to take all those empty shipping containers after they unload in L.A., they got to take them back 
across the sea to load up again. So if they can take anything going the other direction, I mean, it's very economical to, oh, yeah. to ship it that way. They're happy to be, you know, to fill up their their cars with uh, with hay. Well, it's just um, like the it's just like the truckers here in the United States. You know, they they go all over all over every state. But when they get there, they, they they always look. They need another job to go back in the other direction, or right, or, right. or something. So I mean, that's got to be a big logistical nightmare of somebody trying to schedule all of those things. But you know, the New York Times had a big story uh, beginning of this week on groundwater, and we we're talking about California groundwater, but there's other parts in the country and in the world that are also depleting their groundwater. Um, the Ogallala uh, Aquifer in the Midwest is another uh, really problematic uh, thing. And if you look at the map that the New York Times has, you'll see that the Ogallala is much bigger and in much more distress than, you know, the area in the Central Valley, um, which is not to say the Central Valley is not in distress. It's to say that the Ogallala Aquifer is in worse shape. And that that aquifer spans like seven states, and they have never been able to come to agreement on how to preserve that. And Texas, you know, is an extractive, they have an extractive mentality in Texas, uh, you know, like you, the oil, you extract the oil until it's gone, right? So right. they're working on extracting the water until it's gone. And I, I mean, it's it's kind of amazing. I don't, they don't really have a plan for what they're going to do when the water runs out. But you know, it's looking very bad. And I mean, if you want to be concerned about food security, then you should probably be taking a look at this because uh, we're we're fortunate here in the United States. We we can grow enough food within our borders to feed our population, and we export a lot too. Um, it feed a lot of other people, but uh, when you start looking at the groundwater situation and what it means, I mean, what would it mean if we couldn't grow crops in the Midwest? Uh, I believe, I, I think it's like 40% uh, of our water supplies come from groundwater. Well, and, yeah, it, here in California, definitely. Yeah. And, then, yeah. and, then, and, and more then, during a drought. And then with uh, over over pumping, uh, you can cause subsidence and all kinds of other issues to the ground. Oh yeah, and and certainly we experience all of that here in in California. So um, you know it's kind of a it's a little bit of a scary thing if you really want to get you know you want to get scared about something. It's a good thing to kind of get a little worried about. I would say you know what are we going to do uh, when these you know sources dry up. If we're not going to do anything, so. Uh, but such... we'll see. We, you know, we now we do have groundwater management here in California, and we're working towards, uh, you know, uh, getting our groundwater under control. We have a timeline of 20 years, so you know, by 2040 or 2042, these groundwater basins are supposed to be managed. But uh, we'll see. That's it. It's a long time, <laughs> and yeah. we'll see how these plans work. Uh, and, the, and the people who made those commitments will no longer be around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. Hey, 
What's your take on how safe is California tap water with all this PFAS? And, and I learned another thing the other day from, from your, from your uh, writings about uh, what they call forever chemicals. I've heard the term, but I never realized that's what they're really talking about is PFAS. Is that, I guess that means it stays forever? Yeah, they're very hard to break down, these chemicals, uh, PFAS. And they're widely used in many, many products. Uh, you, this is one of those contamination problems that you couldn't escape even if you wanted to. You could, you know, PFAS is in everything, and it's, it's in the environment. They say it's ubiquitous in the environment. It's everywhere, you, you know. Um, and they're, they're working on treatments for it. There's a lot of PFAS in the water, especially in defense sites, uh, I think, right. happen. Camp Lejeune right now is is sort of like they have ads on TV all day, <laughs> all day about uh, yeah. If you live there from 1956, I believe to 1980 something, yeah, that's pretty serious. Yeah, is it this firefighting foam and all all sorts of things? So, um, and yeah, so to your question, how safe is uh, you know our tap water here? It really depends, of course, on where you live. Yep. And uh, the ability of your water system to treat it or respond to it when when it's discovered in the system. And some places in California, you know, you have really nothing to worry about. If you're in a small rural area, I mean, we have we have issues with rural uh, water quality. That, that right, you know, all, that's all not a surprise. So all the disadvantaged right. communities that serve agriculture and places like that, they have really poor water. Yeah, and not just, you know, not just PFAS to worry about, but oh, all, all kinds of things. But 1-2-3-TCP is another, another one. Um, so, you know, but, but, you know, the, in the major cities, in the major water districts, I think everything's you know, you really don't have to worry about it. Although, you know, they have found PFAS in some parts of Southern California, um, and you know, Metropolitan serves water to you know the greater area. But a lot of these other water districts also pump groundwater uh, to supplement the water they receive from Metropolitan. So there's PFAS in those wells. It's been identified. You know, and again, they they have resources to address it you know the problem is when you get out into the smaller systems in the rural systems and 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 i should also note there are pockets of bad water even in los angeles county even in the urban areas because there's i think they had one one uh water district that they took over the state took over because in compton because they were serving brown water <laughs> well, I, I, as you know, I've said for many years on this show, you know, I, I have a real hard time knowing that we live in the greatest country in the world, the greatest technology, and there's plenty of people who can't get clean water. I mean, and, I think that's, yeah, and it's not just California. I mean, it's, no. it's, it's all across the country. Ab- absolutely. I saw also that the uh, your attorney, uh, sorry, your attorney general, Mr. Bonta, I guess he's putting a new program in place to go after the illicit 
cannabis farms, which is stealing so much water in California, and they're not paying for it, and, and uh, they're making the profits, and we're we're losing our, our you know what. <laughs> oh well, yeah, and and these uh, these illegal marijuana farms, they use all sorts of uh, pesticides chemicals. and gnarly yep. chemicals, and they steal water, uh, and it's. Yeah, it's really. <laughs> I'm I'm looking here. Uh, like in 2022, they they processed what removed over 33 tons of cultivation infrastructure, 538 tons of fertilizer, 622 miles of water line. I mean, there's just uh, amazing what what goes out there, and we have a lot of uh, a lot of open land and forest. Uh, here in California, and so they are just sort of riddled throughout there. So we're going to hope that they can uh, crack down on these illegal cannabis sites. If you know, the, they, the hope was when we legalized cannabis in California that 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 would cut down on these illegal farms, but unfortunately, it hasn't. <laughs> Well, I, I can tell you here in Arizona, by the southern border, and the same in Texas, uh, even they even have them in state parks that the cartels set up, and they're growing, and they have armed guards, and yet we know they're there, but no one's going to take care of it. I, I don't, I don't understand that. Yeah, and and it, and you know, I mean, it's it's dangerous in a sense to be out hiking if you come across. You know, oh, some yeah. of these things. And there's booby traps and all sorts of things. If you could just kind of wander off the trail and find yourself in a, in a real pickle of a trouble there, oh, you, know. I, I, you know. They take no witnesses. <laughs> no. <laughs> that, that's, that's, a scary, that's a scary thing. Well, maybe on this positive thing, I know that uh, finally they got a bipartisan bill up in Sacramento to expedite uh, fixing aging levies. Yeah, we're you know, working a long on time, that. Long time coming. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and you know they're really working in Pajaro too to fix up the levee that broke there, which you know flooded a bunch of a farm worker community. So they're working hard to you know try and get all those levees fixed up. And we definitely you know a lot of federal levees here in California. So you know it's a good it's good work to get them up to snuff. We don't know what next winter is going to be like, and no. this last winter was, you know, was challenging to the levees. So hopefully, you know, we'll uh, we'll get those things fixed. It just Keep seems like they, it just it just seems like they always talk about starting a project down the road as it gets closer to election time. <laughs> I, 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 you know, it, it sort of coordinates that, but it's always a, you know you know I haven't heard it. it has nothing to do with water, but. The train to nowhere in California. I haven't heard a word on that in about a year, year and a half. They still, they still doing it. Or do oh, you know? I, I imagine they are. You drive through. Uh, he's talking about the bullet train, by yeah. the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's really a non-bullet train, but. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing the work that they've done in Fresno. There's a, it's huge, massive concrete structure, this chunk of concrete structure. That goes over the freeway. Uh, it, I mean, they're building the infrastructure. It's huge, but yeah, I haven't heard much. Um, I'm not a bullet train fan. I did not vote for the bullet train. <laughs> uh, well, I, 
I know they, they, they were trying to hurry up the uh, the route that goes to the woman's prison up there. <laughs> so that was, that was you know, but I don't know. It, you know, if, if they thought they could get to San Francisco in two hours, but I, they, well, not, I, I had read that's not going to happen because it's still slow uh, railway tracks and they can't do the, the fast bullet trains on them. But that's, that's for another day. By the way, Chris, we're coming up to our commercial break, and uh, we appreciate uh, you coming on every single week and giving us the update in what's happening with water. And um, we do thank you. For our listeners, uh, to get, get that kind of information on a daily basis, it's better than any newspaper you can find or radio station or anything else, go to www.mavensnotebook.com, become a subscriber. You can also be a, a, a sponsor of that, and it's a great thing, Chris Davey and I, Always get stuff every single morning from Miss uh, Austin, and we, we enjoy that. And that's where we get our uh, a lot of our news from. It's actually it's easier to call her on the phone or send her an email instead of trying to reach the governor and get an answer <laughs> back. <laughs> and Chris is more reliable to that. So I, she saved, she's uh, given us lots of information when we couldn't get to the governor. Then, then when I finally get to the governor's office and I mention something to his chief of staff, well, how do you know about that? Well, I have a source, but I didn't. I, I don't name you. I keep you in silence, oh. so so you don't get you don't get in trouble. So anyway, Chris, thank you very much for joining us. We will have you back next week, as always. And you have a nice. Uh, hope it's going to be nice and, and maybe a little cooler where you are, and you're going to enjoy a nice holiday weekend. Absolutely. All right. Good evening. Happy Labor Day, everyone. Happy Labor Day to you. All right, we're going to take a little break. We'll be back with a special guest that we have, and it's going to be a good conversation, so stick around. And uh, you might be thirsty for this uh, uh, gentleman who's coming on, and uh, he'll explain what he does. And uh, So stick around. I, I want to tell you all, but i got to save it after the break. We'll be right back. KCAA Loma Linda. The legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM. Water is one of the biggest expenses for communities, HOAs, universities, golf courses, and resorts. So keeping those costs under control, especially when rates are increasing while water supplies are being reduced, are often essential to a customer's survival. Managing water requires multiple skills, which is why it's been complicated and difficult until now. AquaTrack brings multiple skills and technologies together to help large system users conserve outdoor water and improve the health of their landscapes. AquaTrack's professionals are certified landscape water managers and certified landscape irrigation auditors. The company offers audit services, upgrade advice, technical expertise, and water use monitoring. We already manage irrigation water for the largest homeowner associations in Arizona, and we're prepared to bring our knowledge and experience to help others, including landscapers and designers. Give us a call and hear how AquaTrack saved one HOA some 430 million gallons of water and $200,000 in annual water expenses. AquaTrack is Arizona-based, and you can reach us at 623-594-8689. That's 623-594-8689. Moving up in this industry means getting the most out of each day so you can focus on growing your business. With Site One, you're in control and we're here to help. It starts with the right team. 
Our irrigation pros can help map out a complete, streamlined system to meet any requirements or regulation. And from the first dig to years after install, knowledgeable experts are available in branch or resources are available online to help find solutions specific to your needs. Next, we make sure you have the right tools to get the job done with the largest selection of top brands in the industry, bringing the latest in Wi-Fi enabled controllers, rotors, sprays, valves, and drip components. And because hard work should always be rewarded, you'll receive personalized pricing and earn loyalty points on qualifying purchases to help you grow. You're in control. Site One is here to help. All right, so welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone Show. Hope everybody's having a good time. I'm Rob Starr. As I mentioned earlier in the show, Mr. Chris Davey is on a well-deserved and earned vacation in, in Hawaii, and uh, so I hope he's having a good time and not listening to the show because that would spoil his vacation. So anyway, we got some interesting guests uh, over here, and um, I, I actually ran into this gentleman on a, on a trip that I was making locally, and well, kind of locally, a couple hours away up up in a city called Cornville, Arizona, and um, I went in this place, and I met this gentleman and his wife, and his name is Emil Molin, and he is the owner and executive winemaker, so everybody perks up when I say wine, at Cove Mesa, Mesa Vineyards, and um, interesting gentleman, and uh, I asked him if, uh, very cordial, and he, uh, I asked him if he would love to come on the show and talk about uh, his uh, his winery and, and so forth, and uh, so he did. So, Emil, welcome to the Water Zone. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yes, we're excited. I had a I had a great time. Actually, my wife and I had a great time, and uh, we love your wine. And uh, we'll be buying some more. But uh, I usually start off the conversation with how does how how did a person like you? What made you <laughs> decide to go in the wine business? How, what what attracted you? How did you do it? You know, tell, tell me a little about the history and what, what got you going. Well, <clears throat> I think as we uh, briefly chatted about when you were in our tasting room, uh, I've been really serious into wine for about 45 years. Um, and uh, most of that uh, time, I was not uh, uh, officially involved in the wine industry. Uh, my wife and I were investors in a wonderful Pinot Noir producer in the Willamette Valley for 20 years, Rex Hill Vineyard. Oh. And I learned quite a bit about uh, uh, about the business from uh, that uh, being a, an investor in that company. Uh, we uh, were not involved in the management at all, so, uh, uh, but I still uh, learned quite a bit about it. Uh, we've been to Europe, uh, oh, I don't know, 35, maybe 40 times. Uh, and uh, uh, we have, uh, whenever we've been in a little town somewhere and really enjoyed a, a local wine uh, uh, to the point that I really would, wanted to find out how it was made, mm -hmm. uh, we would uh, have the restaurant uh, call the owners of the uh, local winery and we would go and visit and, and spend a few hours learning how they made the wine. So I've been a real serious student of wine for a long time. And uh, when my wife and I uh, 
uh, my wife was a, a senior engineering manager at Raytheon, mm. and uh, uh, when Rocket uh, Lady, Rocket Lady, yeah, exactly. In fact, <laughs> uh, it's interesting you would say that. Uh, she was a very high-level person, and uh, there are a number of uh, women who were uh, also high-level people, and. Uh, they're all good friends who get together quite a bit, and they call themselves the Rocket Girls. So <laughs> uh, it's, it's kind of fun, yeah. But anyway, um, uh, we decided at some point in time, we lived in Tucson, and uh, we decided that we wanted to retire up in the Verde Valley. And as you mentioned, uh, our tasting room is in Cornville. Right. Our, uh, winery, our winery is in the town of Cottonwood. And... Uh, uh, both of those towns are about uh, 15 minutes from Sedona. So mm-hmm. most people know where Sedona is. Most people uh, that don't live in Arizona, uh, aren't, uh, most people are not aware of Cornville and Cottonwood. But uh, they're wonderful uh, towns that are uh, very near Sedona. And uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic place to be. Uh, I think about 75% of the wine in Arizona is made in the Verde Valley where we are. Um, anyway... Uh, we moved up there in 15, and uh, I, uh, at the time I moved there, I didn't know about Yavapai College, uh, named after the Yavapai Apache Nation. Uh, we were in the county of Yavapai, Y-A-V-A-P-A-I, uh, one of the largest counties in the United States. Uh, anyway, uh, Yavapai College, the, the local community college, and Arizona has fabulous community colleges, Uh, has a very good viticulture and enology program, which I learned learned about uh, in late 15, shortly after we moved up to the Verde Valley. Mm -hmm. And I started taking classes uh, in 16 and and, uh, graduated uh, with an associate degree in applied science in viticulture and enology in June of 17. Mm. Uh, And I I can tell you honestly, I studied more for that than I did my law degree. (laughs) <laughs> uh, now, not 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 because I had to, but just because I was uh, uh, I had the time and I was extremely interested in uh, everything that I was uh, studying, and so I really did a deep dive on every single uh, aspect of uh, what we were studying, and I really enjoyed that. It's a great program, and uh, a lot of the people uh, 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 involved in the wine industry now in Arizona throughout the state. Uh, there's a large representation of people that are graduates of the Yavapai College program. Uh, So it's had a a big impact on the uh, industry uh, in in the state. Um, When we moved to uh, to Verde Valley, uh, to the Verde Valley, I I thought uh, to myself that the Mesa uh, that we uh, purchased, it's a 12-acre property that includes a Mesa that is called Cove Mesa because it looks like a cove from the air. Um, I thought it would be a really neat place to plant uh, plant grapevines. And so uh, starting in 17, I did that. And uh, I can tell you um, it is one of the most difficult places to grow grapes that you can imagine. It is solid rock. It's all uh, limestone. <clears throat> and it costs an obscene amount of money to get the vines in the ground. I'll never get my money back out of that. Anyway, we, we planted 5,200 vines there, and then um, in 2020, um, when COVID hit, um, 
you know, like everybody else, I was pretty much sitting on my rear end uh, on my sofa. And uh, I was 69 years old and uh, really kind of started getting a little panicky. You know, at that age, you can't afford to sit around very long doing nothing. No, and that was one of the questions... That was one of the questions I was going to go into with you. What, how, how, how did the uh, COVID thing affect your business? And, and then and I'll get into that, well, and, then, and then the water business after that. Go ahead. Yeah, well, we, we really hadn't started the business yet. Um, um, and we actually started it because of COVID, which is kind of sounds like a backwards thing. But uh, I was kind of, uh, I was really feeling a need to do something. And uh, so I, my wife was getting ready to retire from Raytheon at the end of 20. And I think she was a little worried about what she was going to be doing because she was always an extremely high energy, uh, uh, highly focused person uh, in her career. And uh, I think we were both a little worried about maybe she was going to make me her project after she uh, retired. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, I said to her, I said, what do you think about starting a winery? And without batting an eye, she said, Okay. <laughs> so we have invested our life savings. Uh, you know, we're not wealthy people. We, we're people who worked hard all of our lives and saved our money, yeah. uh, didn't inherit anything from anybody, and, uh, uh, you know, didn't start any dot-com companies or anything like that. Uh, so uh, anyway, we've invested uh, pretty much uh, 100% of our uh, retirement uh, assets into the winery. And uh, we've been very fortunate uh, to uh, have been very successful from the beginning. Uh, I actually had started uh, making some wine at a wonderful winery here called uh, uh, Arizona Stronghold. Uh, before we had a license, uh, I bought some fruit, uh, uh, Cabernet and Sangiovese, from a wonderful vineyard down in Wilcox, uh, actually in, in uh, the town of Dragoon in the Wilcox AVA. Um, and uh, worked with Arizona Stronghold to make uh, make some wine for us. Um, and uh, uh, a wine that we had made at Arizona Stronghold actually um, uh, won Best Wine in the State in the uh, uh, 2021 Arizona Governor's Cup competition. Mm. So we actually got put on the map uh, very quickly. Uh, there have been a lot of articles written about us. Uh, uh, really, all of our wines are wonderful. We uh, just uh, were voted uh, best tasting room in the Verde Valley uh, uh, in a, a, a Reader's Choice, uh, you know, voting awards right. uh, from the Camp Verde and Cottonwood uh, journals. Uh, and uh, so we've done ex exceedingly well. And uh, we're both, uh, my wife and I are both working about 80 hours a week. Uh, so, uh, we are definitely not retired. I'm now 72. I'll be 73 in, uh, May. Um, and, uh, I don't really see any, uh, any near term end, uh, <laughs> to, well, that's, to the hours, to the hours we're working. You well, know. <laughs> it's, well, it's your business. You want to see, you want to see it come to pass. I think I mentioned to you and your wife, you know, one of my wife's dream was she wanted to, she wanted to have a winery. And, and retire in France or Italy or someplace like that, and and uh, or start one. I said, well, you know, you can't just start one because it takes years to get the grapes to where they need to get to, and and you gotta you gotta know what you're gonna you gotta know how to 
through the wine. You know, you just don't say I'm going to start a vineyard and not know how to do everything. I mean, that's that's the thing. But when when I know when you got into this during COVID, had that has did that hamper your start? Did it did it hurt the business in any way? And, and, well, and then the, you know, prob- probably a little bit, um, but we started relatively small. Uh, we crushed uh, in 2020. We crushed 20 tons of uh, grapes. In uh, 21, we crushed 35 tons, and uh, last year and this year, we're at about a 60-ton level. So we've grown really fast. Um, I figure the and, people who uh, were uh, the people who were off work and sat home had nothing more to do, so they they drank more. <laughs> well, I've I've always heard that. Uh, the liquor industry does really well, uh, even in uh, in in bad times. Yes, uh, I'm not I'm not sure the wine industry is the same as a tavern or you know a bar uh, mm-hmm. in that regard. But I do think uh, uh, I I do think people are looking for relaxation and uh, and social activities uh, during during down times uh, and. Uh, and so we probably do benefit a little bit from that, maybe not as much as uh, a, a typical bar, but right. but I think we do get some benefit. How, did, did the drought affect you in any way in Arizona? Did it, did it hurt? Did they uh, limit, it, it, limit water, uh, so forth and so on? Well, uh, there's not really been any water restrictions. Um, uh, you know, there's been a lot of study about how to uh, manage water uh, in Arizona, and so far I've not seen any any rational uh, plan uh, because uh, any plans that have been talked about treat all water users pretty much the same way uh, about uh, whether they can whether they can put in wells and uh, and so forth rather than looking at how much water uh, each agricultural product uses uh, to determine um, uh, maybe kind of a graded system uh, that that would be a little better for low water users rather than large water users yeah it's not an e- it's not it's not an easy uh, thing to plan because uh, some of the larger water users are, very important uh, crops. I mean, I know I know there's been a lot of talk about alfalfa, for example. Yes. Uh, and uh, but alfalfa uh, uh, does uh, feed uh, uh, a lot of cattle, and uh, uh, both both uh, for uh, winter time for uh, meat uh, right. uh, production, and also uh, uh, for uh, uh, milking operations. Right. And 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 so to some extent, uh, the value produced uh, is worth the water that is used by uh, by alfalfa. Yeah. Uh, so so it, it, it's hard to just paint everything with a broad stroke brush and say some some things are large water users uh, versus other things. But uh, wine grapes are the most miserly users of water of any major crop. And and so from that standpoint, it's a natural for the state of Arizona. Now you asked yeah. about uh, about drought, and I can tell you that in, in uh, 2020, uh, which was a substantial drought year, 
um, the harvest was down about about 40% across the state. So there was a, a, a significant impact. And 21 also uh, uh, was impacted by some drought. 22 was much better. Um, and in fact, uh, 22 uh, harvest in uh, the Wilcox area, where about 80% of the wine grapes were grown, uh, was delayed almost a month uh, because uh, it was a very cool year. And in fact, August in Arizona last year, in 22, was the coolest August in recorded history. Hmm. Um, and uh, there was a lot of rain. I think uh, maybe, I, I know my friends that have vineyards down here in Wilcox, where I am right now, actually, uh, in my Freightliner truck, uh, uh, dropping off pick bins for a big pick tomorrow morning at two different vineyards. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, I've been told by my friends down here that they had an average of a half inch of rain a day for six straight weeks. And uh, and so there was, a, you know, it, it was a very, very good monsoon season. But typically during monsoon season, there is sun in between and the grapes can dry out. Uh, last year, uh, they did not uh, because it rained every day and there was cloud cover for a lot of the time. That's very unusual for Arizona. And yeah. so uh, there was a lot of problem with rot, uh, a lot of problem uh, with delayed uh, ripening and so forth. It was uh, a really difficult vintage for all of the vineyards. Uh, most of them are using uh, uh, organic-type uh, sprays in the vineyards, and mm-hmm. organic-type sprays uh, uh, are much shorter-lasting, shorter shorter-term effect in, in the vines. Right. And so because of continual rain, they had to, they had to spray and spray and spray, and, uh, and it was very expensive, both in terms of labor and, and of course, the the sprays themselves are very expensive. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, this year is a great vintage, I think. Uh, it also has been a really cool year. Now, the last uh, about the last month has been pretty hot, uh, but up until that time, we were way below norm. And so uh, this is also a later harvest year, and uh, it's allowed, it's allowed the, the grapes to hang on the vines longer to get ripe, uh, more slowly, uh, which really uh, produces very high-quality fruit. So this is going to be a spectacular vintage. Oh, great. I know there's a bunch of new technologies out because my, my my company, I'm not trying to sell my products, and I won't even mention the name, but, um, you know, there's some new things on the market where they they're, they think a new technique of double drip or double poly irrigation system. So you basically run another another set of tubes out where you have vines that are are struggling a little bit and they can concentrate instead of watering everything uh, or irrigating everything even the healthy vines this 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 tax just the ones that the emitters are placed just at the base of the uh, of, of the of the weakened vines then there's uh, right. we had yeah then we had a uh, a company on well, two companies on but one one talked about um uh, generate generating uh nano bubbles which are they? They're they're so small. If you light two two hundred of them next to each other, it doesn't even equal a millimeter. But it's supposed to. It has a negative charge, and it's supposed to help the water. Then we had another company on that talked about magnetic technology uh, that they use um, with magnets and ceramic crystals, and it actually helps change the structure, the molecular structure of the water, so it 
goes into the ground yeah, faster. So, right. So what you're talking about, first of all, there are different uh, things. You know, you can uh, uh, you can use things uh, that that basically are uh, are soaps. Yes. Uh, because uh, it, it it breaks down the uh, uh, water tension uh, in the in the water, so the drops are much smaller. Right. Uh, and, and can be absorbed into the soil a lot better. Uh, that the, the other things you're talking about that have to do with the electrical charges and also the acidity of water uh, have a big impact because, uh, for example, uh, uh, the soil that my, my vines are planted in uh, are very high in, uh, in carbonate. And uh, uh, you have to be careful that the, uh, that, that the soil doesn't get all bound up so that the water is is not really absorbed, and, and so that uh, nutrients are not absorbed by the vines. Yeah. Uh, and there are a number of things uh, that ma- magnetic stuff you're talking about. Uh, there are a number of things that uh, are being uh, worked on to help uh, combat that blocking of the soil. I mean, there are thousands of acres in California that have been abandoned in the nut farms, you know, where they flood irrigated. Yep. Uh, because the soils got so locked up that they cannot put they they just cannot put enough acid on the ground to unlock all of that soil and right. so uh, you know uh, rainwater over maybe 20 years or 30 years or 40 years or whatever will eventually uh, unlock that soil but in the near term that soil is unusable yeah. uh, water doesn't water runs off uh, 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 nutrients are all bound up and and, uh, and don't feed the uh, the trees and they've had they've had to just abandon the, the land you can see it when you drive down i5 you know yeah. um, anyway uh, we uh, we won't let that happen here uh, with what we're doing nobody flood irrigates here that's a really really uh, terrible yeah. uh, uh, way to irrigate I mean there are some nut farms that do that. Uh, well, that was that, that, we, we, you're dealing with old technology. I mean that that's the way everything used to be, but not anymore. Yeah, <laughs> and and you were talking about uh, uh, drip irrigation. Uh, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, uh, in general, what we do is we start the drip on the vines when they're planted, and we gradually move the emitters uh, so that they are in between vines to right. help spread out the uh, root system, and mm-hmm. then. Um, uh, obviously, uh, if we have some vines that are struggling, we can we can go and put additional emitters in. Uh, uh, we can put larger emitters in, or 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 additional emitters. Uh, so you use you, you so you use drip tube versus drip uh, tape. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I'm I'm using uh, poly tube. Okay. Uh, okay. And uh, I use one gallon emitters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you'll see a lot of uh, vineyards have two half-gallon emitters per vine. Uh, my my vines are only three feet apart, so uh, I only have one one emitter per vine. Okay. And uh, I gradually move them uh, away from the uh, vines to uh, uh, help help the root systems become more efficient in ga- gathering water. The other thing we do, uh, I think most, uh, and of course you know this because you're involved in the irrigation business with one of the very best companies. Um, uh, we also uh, have things like uh, 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 computer systems that uh, uh, that either are reading moisture in the vineyard 
for or with the weather service so we know when when to uh, uh, pause irrigation when, when water is not needed in the vineyard. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my system will pause irrigation if the wind is uh, too strong uh, because uh, the wind really uh, uh, blows the water away and, and makes it uh, evaporate uh, so that you're not really getting all the benefit of the water. Right. Uh, so there are things there are things you can do. We also we water at night. We don't water in the daytime uh, because uh, it's cooler, and of course the sun's not there to uh, cause uh, the water to evaporate so fast. I mean, there are a lot of things we do to try to minimize uh, uh, the amount of water we need to use. Excellent. Uh, well, well, in the minute and a half left, we got just a couple things. What what's your featured wines? So our listeners know what it is, and then you can tell us where they can get a hold of you or your winery. And order some stuff. Yes. Um, so I'd like to say that the one reason we got involved in wine here is because uh, the grapes in Arizona really helped to produce uh, European-style wines, um, at least a lot more European-style than what most people are used to from California. So our wines are elegant, beautiful wines, and it's the style of wine that I like. Uh, all of our wines are really good. Uh, it's really hard. I mean, we... we you know, our, our rosé uh, has been uh, rated uh, some of the very best in the state uh, every year. Uh, our whites, uh, Peak Pool Blanc, a fabulous uh, French grape that uh, uh, makes beautiful wine in Arizona, Malvasia Bianca. But uh, it's really interesting because here uh, the Spanish grapes, the French grapes, and the Italian grapes all do extremely well here. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Tempranillo, uh, Ionico, uh, Grenache, Syrah, all the Rhone varietals, the wines are just spectacular. And uh, anyway, uh, uh, we have a fabulous tasting room in uh, Thornville, and we are available in a number of restaurants down in the Phoenix Valley. Uh, what's it, what's, what's, and, what, what's yeah. the address? We've got about less than a minute left. What's your address so people can go? And, 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 okay. and again, uh, to, to our, for our listeners, it's Cove Mesa Vineyards, but go ahead. Yeah, our address uh, is 1210 Southwestern Drive uh, in Cornville, and uh, that is at the intersection of Page Springs Road and Cornville Road. So we're right on Cornville Road, and unfortunately we have an address from the side street where the entrance to our parking lot is, but we're right on Cornville Road, and uh, anybody coming to the wine country in, in Cornville goes past our uh, our tasting room. So. We're okay. easy to 